0: Fish Bites Podcast. I'm Aram Layton, joined by our new managing editor, Eli Sussman. Eli, congratulations.
1: Thanks, bud. It's been, I guess, a few months in the making, really. Um, most of this season, just watching over things while the powers that be just decided, you know, how exactly we want to run the site moving forward. And uh, I'm going to bring a little swagger to the site that maybe it didn't have as a University of Miami guy, um, but it's going to be a lot of the same stuff that people have loved already about fish stripes and you and everybody else that's been on the staff is going to be a big part of it and i mean that shows a hell of a week to like take over with the draft coming up 25th anniversary after that trade deadline not far away so we're gonna be busy and there's a whole lot to cover on this podcast but thanks a lot and uh it's gonna be a lot of fun
0: well, the site could not be in better hands, and it really is an exciting time to be covering baseball, and specifically Marlins baseball. We have the draft tomorrow. We have a lot of prospect development going on right now. It's almost like things going around on around the team are more exciting than the team actually playing in the major leagues. But let's hop into the draft a little bit. Um, we were talking about this earlier off the air, but it's kind of hard to predict what the Marlins are going to do here, especially... With some of the old front office still in there, with some new guys mixed in. You don't know who has more pull, who has less pull. Uh who do you think the Marlins might be taking and, and do you think it'll be more like a high school bat? We, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, discussion about high school bats with the Marlins, you know, because there's not so much of a rush to get these guys to the bigs. But the Marlins in the hit in, in in the past have tended to pick uh, you know, high school arms, and they haven't had a lot of success doing that. It's going to be interesting to see if they continue that trend, or maybe they try and break that trend and go for something different. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow?
1: Yeah, well, the really, the only answer is that we have no clue, because it's that combination. This front office is a mishmash of guys that were held over, you know, from the previous administration and new guys. And the two figures we're kind of honing in on are Stan Meek, who's the scouting director, but who's been the scouting director last 16 years. So you credit him with some of the guys that have succeeded over the those few years. Giancarlo Stanton was a Marlins draft pick. Yelich was a Marlins draft pick. Real Muto was a Marlins draft pick, and all of them had success. But at the same time, you're right, the last few years, they're really frustrated with how those top picks have panned out with first-round pitchers coming out of high school. Uh, Braxton Garrett, who had Tommy John surgery shortly after And uh, Trevor Rogers, last year's pick, he just made it to the big leagues and like, not the big leagues, but he finally made his pro debut and he's looking exciting, but they had to hold off a while before they saw him. And uh, it's a mixed track record for what Stan Meek has done. And now he's got this other figure that he's collaborating with. And that's Gary Denbo, who's really in charge of the player development, right? So his big focus is on making those players better once they get into pro ball and actually start playing games and and practicing, but he's believed to going to have a big influence on who they take. I mean, just generally speaking, you would think that the high school player is more likely than the college guy um, because of what you mentioned, because they're probably a few years away from being a decent major league team and maybe a few more after that from being like a real contender. So you're not worried about rushing any of these players Right now, or even in the near future, all the way through the system, you want to go for the guy that has a big upside. And as frustrating as it might be, you might even want to reach for a guy that has a college commit. And maybe he's not even going to sign with you, but you want to take a shot at convincing him not to go to school, because that's where you're going to get a lot of the high upside guys is coming straight out of high school and trying to convince them not to go to college, trying to convince them to get started right away. Um, so A few individuals they've been attached to, I guess mo- the most loud uh, connection is with Tristan Cassis, who Casas, who's that local player out of American Heritage, that huge slugger that you've played against a few years ago, so you know a little more than I do about his particulars, but someone that has almost unlimited power, aside from having a couple other tools that may make him stick as an everyday all-star caliber corner infielder. But yeah, it's just a lot of high school players through one mock draft or another. Uh, Also in South Florida, there's Connor Plant, who's uh, Connor Scott, excuse me, out of Plant High School in Tampa. Uh, So he's an outfielder that's uh, a much different skill set. And, I mean, I'm not ruling out a pitcher either. I, you'll We have a mock draft going up on SB Nation where every managing editor weighed in on who we think, who, who I would go to if I was in that position. And I went with Kumar Rocker, who's this huge high school pitcher out of Georgia, a guy that has such a strong frame and such high upside stuff that you see a ceiling where he could be a guy that's the top of the rotation arm in the majors. And that's one thing that they're lacking in the system. And it's the one question that we have is whether you draft her best available or if you look for a particular need. And in my opinion, it doesn't need to be the first pick they make, but at some point in the early rounds, go for a guy that really has that high upside as a starting pitcher because right now the organization has a lot of pitching depth, but not too many guys that you could realistically see Uh, dominating that we haven't really seen at all on the team since Jose Fernandez. So you look for the one guy, if it's not the first round, then shortly after, someone that has that amazing ceiling if everything clicks right. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because
0: I really do think this could be the most important draft in Marlins history because this is a huge transition period for the Marlins. Uh, You know, we were talking about this whole process with Derek Jeter and to be blunt they really don't have the prospects yet to take a step back and say hey this team's going to be good in a few years like people said with the Astros you know 5 6 years before they won the title they really don't have what it, don't get me wrong the farm system is vastly improved from where it was last year but at the end of the day you look at the farm system and you still can't say okay in a few years this could be a playoff team and one of the best ways to build is obviously through the draft we know they might trade Real Muto or a few other pieces to get some prospects, but they really need to hit on some picks in this draft. And it makes it really interesting to see where they may go, uh, what route they may go. Uh, going back to Casas, yes, I played him, but I was a senior when he was a freshman, and that kid could hit the ball twice as far as I could. And uh, the absolute freak of nature would would not be disappointed with the Marlins taking him there. It's just interesting to see with the high school bats, and you know, it's going to be a longer path to the majors. He's also restricted to first base for the most part, um, so you're really just betting on his bat, kind of like a Josh Naylor type of profile, who the Marlins dealt away, but seems to be doing pretty well right now. Um, but Casas is is a great option. I've seen the Marlins tied to a lot of local high school bats. You've seen Xavier Edwards. He's small. He's five foot seven, five foot eight, which might be generous, but he's a speedster, switch hitter. Can drive the ball to the gaps, and I'm sure they're betting on him filling out a little bit more. He's got an elite glove. Uh, But for me, I wouldn't mind seeing the Marlins in the first couple rounds take a shortstop because, yeah, Miguel Rojas has done a great job. But I don't think you could look at Miguel Rojas and say, hey, he is the shortstop of the future. I think he's a shortstopper right now, and he's doing a great job, and he's holding his own. But it's been a while since the Marlins have had a shortstop where you, you've been excited about him and say, "Okay, that guy could be our shortstop for the next ten years." Uh, so I'd really like to see the Marlins draft a shortstop. We're seeing the MLB kind of turn into a, a league where the middle infielders hit for some power. You know, you see shortstops and second basemen like Altuve. You're looking at shortstops all over, like Lindor, Seeger. All these guys that are hitting for power up the middle infield position. And and that's kind of something you need. And the Marlins have a lot of power to be desired in the middle infield. So it'll be interesting to see what, what route they go there. Um, as for an arm, they could always use more arms, but they, they do have a, a good amount of pitchers that are pitching pretty well in the minors right now. As we look at Trevor Rodgers has looked pretty good in, in, in his brief couple outings uh, in his debut. Also, you have Trevor Richards, who keeps just churning out quality start after quality start. Zach Gallen, who came over in the Cardinals trade, has looked really good. And, of course, Sandy Alcantara, who also came in the Cardinals trade and the Marlins' most highly touted prospect, who just jumped a little bit in the latest Baseball America Top 100, has looked phenomenal. And it's uh, most fans are just eager for him to get called up. You know, they're waiting to see what he can do at the major league level. And I think it could be any day now. I'd like to hear what you think about that. But I think Alcantara is as ready as he's going to get. I know control was a big issue for him. He seemed to show that he can uh, you know, settle down, and he seemed to show a, a good amount of control. It's still a little bit of an issue, but at the end of the day, I think he's proven that he's ready to pitch in the bigs.
1: Yeah, real quick, I'm going to walk back to what you said about shortstops because that was a really good point, that in the farm system right now, They're just not a lot of guys whatsoever that you're excited about that you believe can actually stick at shortstop. So I was talking to a scout this past weekend about Jose Devers, who you might remember he was one of the prospects they got in return for Stanton in that trade and how a lot of people are fixated on him because one, he's 18 years old and he's already in a ball, which is very unusual and very advanced, but how there's a lot of pressure on him because outside of him, there's not. Any players whatsoever, really, that you can feel good about sticking at shortstop and being like a productive all-around player, and this guy was kind of blunt with me that he doesn't look, he doesn't really profile as an everyday player in the major leagues. But he's a guy that does have a very interesting glove, and the fact that he's advanced as he is at such a young age is uh, worth noting. But uh, if if he's not even a guy that people are convinced. Has that potential to be a shorts up in the major leagues, and that's a position they really need to address and probably in the draft is the best way to do it. Um, but what you were saying about these advanced pitching prospects is that they i mean it's such a difficult dance that they have right now where they have all these guys that are knocking on the door and only so many rotation spots and they feel obligated to give rotation spots to the veterans that are already on significant contracts like Chen and Straley. Um, And also the fact that one of their rule five draft picks, Eliezer Hernandez, they need to keep him in the major leagues to keep long-term control of him. Um, So even if he's not ready, and there's a big question as to whether he's ready or not, because uh, his last start against the Diamondbacks was really discouraging and he doesn't really miss bats. But for now, he's the guy that gets precedent just because of his situation, just because of how the team acquired him. So, I think the easiest choice in the near future is that we're going to see Eliezer Hernandez kind of moved into a relief role because that's what you see with a lot of these rule five draft picks is they kind of hide you on the roster. They want those future years when they think you could develop into a quality player. But for this first year, it's just a trick to Keep him on the roster somehow. He's not a guy that should really take precedent over Sandy, over Trevor Richards, or even over Zach Gallon. All three of those guys have been really consistent for a number of weeks now at AAA. And as you mentioned, the one that has the highest upside of those three at AAA right now is Sandy Alcantara. And the question with him is, it's the the command and, and really the control in general, just being able to have any ability to throw strikes was a question coming into the year and he seems to have answered that so far especially in the last few weeks Um, the one head scratcher is that he's not striking out as many guys as his stuff would suggest a really league average strikeout rate for a guy that tops out at 100 miles an hour and he's even been throwing 100 this year and he's getting results he's getting a ton of ground balls but he's looking like a, a different pitcher than the one they thought they acquired. And I mean, that's not a bad problem to have if they still think he could be successful. But he's having somewhat of a confusing year. And so they still have almost four months now to get all these guys some action in the major league rotation. And it's going to come at some point. But it's just a big guessing game to know what the hierarchy is within the Marlins system, right? Because if you have all these guys that are consistent at AAA and they're all getting results... Then how do you decide like which of them gets the first crack in the major leagues? Uh, I would still think that Alcantara is going to be the next one up when they have a rotation opening, but it's just a question of whether they're going to how they're going to create that's that. That's the
0: interesting part too. Is you know you you bring that up with Alcantara, and that might be one of the reasons why he's not up right now. Is maybe they want him to figure out how to you know get more swings and misses, and that might be a result of him falling behind in the count. Uh, but you also look at a guy like. Jose Urania, who you would expect to have a high, high strikeout count, you know, day in and day out. And he struggles to miss bats too. And he's an upper 90s fastball. So you really hope that Alcantara can develop his strikeout pitch. I think a, a large part of it is that his changeup is still a work in progress. And that's, you know, the best pitch in baseball. But Jose Urania, you'd hate to see him go down. You'd hate to see Alcantara go down that Jose Urania route where he really struggles to miss bats and he's dependent on uh, keeping the ball in the yard in and, and a pitcher's park. But I mean, Alcantara is young. He's got plenty of time to figure it out and figure out how to miss some more bats. I keep wanting to jump ahead, but I still am not completely done with this shortstop discussion because I have seen the Marlins tied to another prep shortstop, Blaze Alexander out of IMG Academy in uh, you know Central Florida, and he's a shortstop. Really, really athletic kid can hit for power he 's got a college commitment, and it would probably take a good amount of money to pry him from there uh, but he he is a guy that, in the second round, you could probably steal from that college but like I was saying before i don 't think you can think of a competitive team in baseball without an elite shortstop. I think that's kind of the you know the the nutshell of catcher and shortstop where you really got to build your infield around. And I'm a big proponent of having a shortstop that can hit for power, that can hit for, you know, a slug for a high percentage while playing some good defense. And I think that seems to be the future of the position rather than these guys like we've seen in the past that mostly flash a good glove and anything over 250 is, is, you know, something you should be happy with. I think shortstops now are really guys that are really slugging the ball and could be the best bat in your lineup. As you see, like with the Astros too, of course, with Carlos Correa, another one I forgot to mention earlier. But – uh, in a nutshell, I would love to see the Marlins get a shortstop in the first three rounds, and in the first round, I, I, I'm kind of open. I'd love to see what they do. But as we were talking about, you know, Major League pitchers and, and Minor League pitchers, I, I think it's really frustrating for fans um, to see a guy like Wei-Yin Chen pitch day in and day out and really struggle, but at the end of the day, you sign him for $80 million, so you can't really cut him you got to just try and squeeze out whatever value you can get out of him because you're not, you're not just going to cut him and you know sever that $20 million a year for nothing. So they're really hoping they can get something out of him. But at the end of the day, it's pretty frustrating because he's really not giving the Marlins anything to work with and he's just taking a rotation spot from a young guy that could really be developing and getting some valuable experience. So I, I really feel for Marlins fans when they got to watch Chen go out there every fifth day and get rocked. Uh, You you see Dan Straley, he's a little bit up and down. He's not as frustrating to watch, but it's tough. It's a tough spot for the Marlins because they have these tough contracts as we see with Brad Ziegler as well. They left him in the closer role way too long. And finally, is getting an opportunity to close. But I don't know what the Marlins should do. I'm kind of torn on that, whether they should just cut their losses with these guys. Some of these guys like Chen and Ziegler. Or try and squeeze out every last penny of value they can get since they already are pretty handcuffed with bad contracts.
1: Yeah. To me, I thought the Ziggler call is a little bit easier because he's in the last year of his deal. It's already June. And if he's not going to, he needs, he would need to go on an insane stretch to like present himself as a decent reliever at this point. And he has been a little bit unlucky. Because I took some offense where a lot of frustrated fans clumped him together with Junichi Tozawa. and I don't think that was fair. Because Tozawa was getting shelled like every single time, and with Ziegler, there has been some bad luck where he's still like a premier ground ball specialist. He still gets a lot of grounders, but at the same time, he that's not a good fit for this team at all because they have Justin Bohr, Starlin Castro on together on one side of the infield and there have been a couple instances just with those two guys where they've struggled with a certain type of play with Ziegler on the mound, and it's ended up costing them several runs. It's a liability, um, that defense on the right side of the infield, and he's not going to be able to have success, really, if they're playing every inning and when he's on the mound. But But of course, there's been also just a drop in his skill level, too. He's given up as many home runs this year as he has in any full season of his career. So there's obviously some decline there too. And if he's in the last year of his deal, if he's not going to redeem himself into a trade candidate because he's just running out of time and because he's not in a great situation to look good, then to me, it's pretty obvious that it's kind of a time to move on, especially when you have this overflow of arms in the minor leagues. And you see a lot of them as starting pitchers in the future. And that's a good thing to have where there's still a lot of potential for these guys to stick in the rotation. But in the short term, if they're already proving themselves that they're beyond triple a competition, then make room any way you can on the active roster and just DFAing Brad Ziegler. And uh, eventually it's just going to be releasing him is a way to create that roster spot with, and with Chen, it's more complicated um, I don't think the answer is really that different, but it's more complicated because he has multiple years beyond that. And even though it hurts more to have a guy on a long-term overpaid contract, but at the same time, a delusional team will be, will you know, be unrealistic about what they think that player will be the next few years. When when you have him under control and you desperately don't want to pay every dollar that, then you hold out hope that he's going to turn it around. Um, but I don't think that's realistic because not only do you worry about the performance, which has been so inconsistent this year, you just worry about his injury as well, where he, his elbow is still, he has a partial tear in his elbow and that stuff, it doesn't heal on its own. It doesn't always snap altogether, but it's a predicament where there just doesn't seem to be a realistic path to him regaining any trade value either. So personally, I would, look very, very seriously into just cutting their losses with him as well. I don't think that's going to happen, though, at least not during this season, uh, because we've seen that, um, and this is one of the issues with the new ownership group, is that they're very conscious of making a profit, and they're very conscious, really, the next few years of being profitable despite limited revenue, and they're going to hold out hope even against, like, all the reasonable data. They're going to hold out hope that he well, can turn it around. Well, the frustrating part with,
0: with Chen is that you can't even turn him into a lefty specialist. His splits are terrible. He, he's really just I, – I always say this to my friends when I'm watching the game. I think if I could pick one major league pitcher that I could face if I had to get a hit, I think it would be and Chen. And I've, I stand by that because it, it's <laughs> 90 miles an hour. It's always belt high and it has no movement. And I don't know. I didn't watch him much on the Orioles. I don't know what the difference was with his success. I don't know if it was luck. I understand he has the arm problem, and that's another thing that has made no sense to me. Why not just go in and fix it if, if you're not pitching well? I don't know if that's the reason why. I don't know if that's the, the scapegoat or what it is. But at the end of the day, if you are pitching the worst you've pitched in your entire career and you have a partial tear in your elbow, why wouldn't you just go fix it? and see how you feel when you come back. Instead of constantly being on and off of the DL, then when you're off the DL, you're not pitching well. It's this weird, vicious cycle with Chen, and I don't really understand why he doesn't just fix the root of the problem and see how he feels when he comes back. But can't think for the guy, and I'm not sure if that's him or the Marlins doctors or whatever it is, but especially in a time where the Marlins really don't need him. Like he would almost be doing the Marlins a favor by getting Tommy John surgery right now, getting the roster spot opened up. He still gets his money and the Marlins can then, you know, bring up a younger guy and pitch him and Chen can work on coming back and being better next year. But at this point, it's almost too late because he's going to miss next season as well. But it's, it's, it's a complicated thing with Chen and he probably frustrates me more than any Marlins player because of that, beyond just his performance. But you look at some of the other guys, and I I would wonder for you who you think the next man up would be. So we talked about Gallon, Zach Gallon, who had that, I don't know the exact number of innings, but had a pretty impressive scoreless inning streak. I'm sure you may know that with all the uh, fast facts you're tweeting out on the uh, Fist Stripes Twitter. Um, But then you also have Trevor Richards, who showed he could pitch in the Bigs. He had a couple tough outings, but he had a couple really impressive outings as well. And he continues to pitch at a really high level in AAA. And then we already talked about Sandy extensively. But who do you think could be the next man up in the the Major League rotation?
1: Well, first of all, let me double check. I think all three of them are on the 40-man roster because that's a consideration too, is that being able to bring up somebody without actually changing much with your organization, without having to... Knock somebody off of the roster to make room for them, and so with with all that, they're on equal footing, right? Where it should be just dictated by um, the teams' own evaluation of them. I uh, another consideration is their innings count and what they've done this past year to build up their workload. The fact that Trevor Richards was one of the leaders, actually, both Richards and Gallon were among the leaders in innings pitched in the minor leagues last season. So they're already stretched out to kind of be a starter for pretty much the entire year. Whereas Alcantara was in the Cardinals' bullpen for a segment of last season, and he wasn't as efficient as he was right now this year. So he didn't work up the same kind of workload that those two other guys did. And so I think that would be a consideration where they want him to work consistently throughout the year, but they don't want to overexert him, and they don't want to be in a position where, they shut them down before the season is over. So both gallon and Richards were between 15 and 20 innings of extra work last year than Alcantara has. And that may come into play. Uh, It's hard for me really to obsess over like the order of them because one, we really don't know the team hasn't really tipped its hand. And the fact is before the year's over and really before July is over, they should have multiple openings in the rotation And one of the weird things is, even though um, Chen and Straley both were on the DL at the start of the year, uh, again there really haven't been any injuries whatsoever popping up in the rotation at the major league level. We're now going on more than a month of kind of an uninterrupted healthy rotation, and that seems that's actually a little unusual, right? To actually to go that long, not have any one guy, even if it's something really minor or something precautionary, the fact that none of or Australia or Straley, or Chen, or Eliezer Hernandez, or who am I missing? Caleb Smith. None of them have had to miss a start. None of them have really had to come out because of an injury concern. I just think naturally you're going to see a couple openings. Um, the, and the, of course, the other way to create one of those openings is with the trade. We've already established that Chen isn't isn't going to have a market, and those guys, Hernandez and Caleb Smith have so many years of control remaining that they're really not going to be on the market. Uh, The question is whether Straley or Arrhenia are going to – exactly what teams would be interested in them because both of them are interesting assets because of how long they're under control, but they're also kind of boring assets because they really haven't had any extended stretches of dominance in their whole major league careers. They've had maybe individual games that stood out and in generally speaking, both of them, aside from Straley's injury this spring, both of them have great durability track records as well. So it's going to be curious to see which of those guys go on the market, which of them draw significant interest and whether the Marlins actually pull off a deal, because those aren't salary dumps. Those guys don't have significant commitments. They're still in their arbitration years for several years to go. Um that's going to be a big factor in whether the guys from AAA get an opportunity exactly when they get called up is on whether those veterans are and actually going to be one on the market. I'm really
0: interested to see is, is Dan Straley. I do think he could have some trade value. We see some pretty mediocre pitchers fetch some impressive uh, returns around the deadline. And dare I remind you of Andrew Kashner and the return that the Marlins – or what the Marlins gave up for – a couple months of him uh, it kind of makes me think maybe a desperate team that needs an arm could go after dan straley i mean in six starts straley's era is at 3.69 and he the, the advanced statistics point to him being a little bit unlucky he he's been pretty good and i mean if he even maintains a sub four era and doesn't give up 31 home runs for the third consecutive year I think he could actually be a decent trade piece where maybe you can get, you know, a solid prospect or two. I mean, the Marlins gave up Chris Paddock, who I know wasn't a top 100 prospect when they gave him up, but he was highly touted. A lot of people said he was the best, you know, pitching prospect in the Marlins organization at the time. Now he's the 80th prospect in baseball, according to Baseball America, which actually physically pained me as I scrolled down the list to see that. But. Yeah. The, you know, the the Padres got a great return. The, you know that was 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 not part of that trade. That's a correction. That was for Rodney, wasn't it? But, it, but they gave up Naylor right. who was has actually doing a good job now too and he was he was the Marlins what number, top 3 prospect or top 2 prospect. So it, it's difficult uh to sit with that too. I mean Naylor's hitting the ball pretty well for the Padres too and you look at—I can even scale back. I, I totally messed that up. But you look at Rodney. The Marlins gave up a surefire, you know, stud uh, minor league pitcher for Francisco Rodney, who or Fernando Rodney, who was just not good. He was actually atrocious for the Marlins. It wasn't—he wasn't even close. And now Rodney's still pitching, surprisingly, but he didn't do anything with the Marlins. The Marlins kind of got infatuated with that. Maybe we'll make the playoffs for a few games out of the wild card. We need to make a last-second move which seems to always kill them. And, um, but the Marlins end up giving up a lot for nothing. And I, going back to Australia, I just think he's, he's cheap. He's decently controllable still. And I'd like, to see, I'd like to wonder what team that surprisingly is in contention, like the Angels or something like that, that might give up a decent prospect or two for a back-of-the-rotation arm. I, I'm not sure what you think the Marlins could potentially fetch for Australia or whether you think his success could continue.
1: Yeah, the one detail about Rodney that was that was kind of got washed away because he was so bad after the trade is that he actually had a team option remaining on his contract beyond that season, and so the Marlins were thinking, "Hey, this guy's off to an amazing start. He's actually outperforming his contract. He has an affordable team option the following year, which was between four and five million dollars, and that's underpriced as well. If you think the guy is like a legit late inning pitcher." And so that was a big reason why they gave up Paddock is that they thought that Rodney was there for the rest of that summer and a whole year after that, both times at a reasonable salary. And control is such a big factor in trade value, and that's what helps guys like Straley is that he just was arbitration eligible this year for the first time. He still has a few more years of that. So that's a big factor where he's not even necessarily – limited to going to a contending team. It's any team that within the next few years can reasonably see themselves as a contender. But uh, it's not only about his ability and his control. It's about whether the team acquiring him actually thinks he's an upgrade over what they have. And that's a big question. That's Because on this Marlins team at the moment, you'd say, what, he's definitely one of their top three starters, and he's arguably right there with Caleb Smith as... And Urania, it's it's a big mishmash of like mediocrity, but he, he's arguably their their best starting pitcher right now, and that's of course not going to be the case if you look at a really respectable team, and exactly where that those acquiring teams think he fits in, that's going to go a long way in determining what kind of prospect or multiple prospects they would give up. Um, a team like the Yankees is one that doesn't really have a whole lot of needs because they've dominated. But the one question mark just going down the stretch for them is holding off the Red Sox, who are also a dominant team, and winning that division. Because those might be two of the very best teams in baseball, and only one of them is even going to win a division. So those teams are in an unusual position where they might acquire a guy, not even with the playoffs in mind, but just with the regular season in mind, trying to hold off the other one so that they they avoid the wild card game, And so that they get to host uh, what would probably be the wild card winner in that division series. So he's a guy that I guess if you look at either of those teams, the Red Sox or the Yankees have concerns about the back ends of their rotation, that he would be a guy that they would consider bidding against each other to get. And just for the regular season, just for... A part of July or August and September just to win a few more games that could make the difference in whether those teams actually have a chance to go all the way to the World Series. Uh, the National League is really – I mean, there's going to be a lot of potential destinations in the National League that would be interested in him because you just look at the NL East. As long as the Marlins don't have any reservations about trading inside their own division, you have three teams separating themselves at the top and the Mets hanging around a little bit where all four of those teams, uh, you don't know exactly what their rotation depth is going to look like come the trade deadline. Maybe the Nationals are an exception to that, where the Nationals, going back a few years now, have been just, they've been spoiled with the quality of their starters. But uh, between the Braves and the Phillies and maybe the Mets, in the NL Central, it's kind of a free-for-all too, with the Cubs being the favorites, but also the Cardinals and the Brewers. Like, looking pretty legit as well. I mean, there's going to be a lot of teams that are buying at the deadline. Uh, Again, the question is there's only so much they're going to give up for a guy like Straley. If they don't see him as a real difference maker. And especially if they don't see him making impact in the playoffs, if he's just a regular season guy, if he's just a a workload guy. Uh, So I, in my opinion, I think they should seriously look into making him available again As we've been talking about, the big emphasis is getting these guys, these top prospects who are ready for a major league challenge, getting them an opportunity. And trading Straley, uh, assuming he's healthy, assuming he is as um, decent, really, as he's been so far earlier this year, that gets them more talent in the farm system and lets them bring up more talent from the farm system to the majors. So that's going to be a guy that. They really should be marketing well, yeah, pretty and, heavily. And
0: like we were saying with Kashner, he he never had an ERA below four since 2013, and still fetched what he fetched from the Marlins with uh, with any of that trade got complicated with you know Castillo going and Ray coming, Colin Ray, and then we gave Ray back and Castillo came back and that whole complication. But he, you know, if if you exclude that, the Marlins still gave up Naylor and Carter caps for. Uh, You know, Kashner who's was awful and, and never pitched below four, a four ERA. So if Straley continues to sit around the mid-high threes and he's cheap, affordable, and controllable, I think that might be the Marlins' best trade chip other than Rio Muto come trade deadline. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see if any teams need pitching. I think everyone always does need pitching. So that could be a good opportunity for the fish uh talking uh, summing it up here at the end of course we always got to talk about trades cuz we're just at that point in the Marlins organization of course Rio Muto is is of uh, the obvious trade chip that the Marlins have been dangling a little bit they they seem to show no eagerness to trade him with reason i mean if people aren't going to if teams aren't going to match their priced tag there's no reason to give him up he's one of the most valuable pieces in baseball right now Um uh, What do you think Rio Muto can fetch, especially after this hot start? And what other pieces do you think the Marlins could potentially dangle come deadline?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Rio Muto has been so encouraging because I I think we mentioned him on the last episode of the podcast, how he was off to just a super hot start, and he's really maintaining that. And the fact that it it actually makes him – it's a higher gear than he was able to reach the past couple years. And fans, at least down here knew all about how great he was overall coming into the year, but he has found this slightly higher gear and it's really encouraging to the point that, yeah, not every team is going to have the assets to trade for him. And I, the team that they're playing right now is one that, that the fishing series against the diamondbacks is one that I had mentioned a while ago as a team that had a lot of catchers, but not like a lot of, really proven ones, uh, but all of a sudden they're getting out of nowhere contributions from this guy, John Ryan Murphy, that makes you wonder whether they're going to be in the market when it comes to the, the middle of the year. The Nationals were the most obvious connection between with the Marlins for over the offseason, and they're winning games even without a whole lot of production from the catcher position. You wonder if that's going to be a priority for them. Uh, again, and what's Looking like a really competitive NL East division, you need every advantage possible, and they have the most high upside prospect imaginable to offer in a trade if they are really willing to go for it in that position. Um, I mean, there's still there's going to be. It's not even a question of like having a lot of teams that are involved. It's not so much about a bidding war because it's pretty clear at this point that Real Muto is one of the elites at his position. And there's no reason for the Marlins to settle for anything less than multiple top hundred prospects. And one guy from that group being really near the top of the list and a surefire major league contributor, there's no reason to settle for anything less than like a huge haul. And they're probably going to get that as long as just a couple of these teams have an obvious need at the deadline and provided that they're in these races that are really heating up and they need that small edge. Uh, but aside from him, And, of course, uh, dismissing some of those disappointing veterans that we already mentioned, uh, you still look at Starlin Castro and and wonder what exactly his market would look like, a guy that he's been pretty consistent this year for the Marlins, but consistently what? Consistently just really ordinary, where he's made some high-profile errors defensively, and really until the last few weeks of May, his power wasn't showing up much at all, and that's something that, is really critical if you're going to be an everyday player in the majors. As you mentioned, with shortstops, that's now the expectation at pretty much any position is to be able to hit for power. And his has really not been there much this year until recently. And his contract is not as favorable as Real Muto and his team control. So he he's a guy that I guess they would consider putting on the market, but I don't know exactly where that interest is going to come from in the middle of the year. I'm not sure if teams are convinced that he will definitely make them better. Uh, And then just looking through the pitching staff real quick, we already mentioned, touched on Arrhenia, went more detailed on Straley. And then in the bullpen, Bearclaw is a possibility um, because he's just now installed as the closer, He's a guy that still has a few years of control left, but if he's really found this extra gear um, and he's a guy that just is pretty much unhittable, just a really special month of May that he's coming off of, they're going to get – there's teams that are going to be taking him very seriously as a guy that improves the bullpen, that's really affordable long-term. And uh, he's a guy that's really grown from when they got him originally in a Steve Cesec trade a few years ago. Um, they should be able to get multiple prospects back for him, assuming that um, assuming that he just keeps doing and what he's, he's doing.
0: He's an interesting candidate for the closer role. Obviously, he was just tabbed the closer, but I, people had been clamoring for him to be the closer even before Ziegler was struggling. And I, I always thought he had closer stuff with that wipeout slider. Uh, his strikeout numbers per nine are astronomical, always over thirteen among the league leaders, and. He's definitely a trade chip, but at the same time, he's pretty young and he could be that anchor in the bullpen. So it'll be interesting to see what the Marlins decide to do there, especially with guys that started off hot like Taron Guerrero uh, struggling now where you you don't have too much consistency in that bullpen. But it should be a puzzling but exciting deadline and it'll be strange to see what might happen. But it'll definitely be a busy time for us. And I think the Marlins, in a nutshell, are, are a little bit of a mess of guys going up and down, kind of experimenting. And I think that's kind of what we expected in, in the sense that they don't really look to win right now. I know Jeter says on television that, yeah, then we're trying to win right now. This is a competitive team and all that. But it's really not a competitive team. They know that the players know that everyone knows that and it's kind of an experimentation time which i'm kind of fine with because you get to see who is ready and who is not and that's why i kind of want to see some of these guys like chen and straley go because it really can full go full bore uh, no pun intended with this you know experimentation time and we can kind of see who is ready who's not who needs more work and I think guys like who's Brinson have kind of had their audition already and it's time for Brinson to go back down and maybe figure things out a little bit and bring a guy like Sierra up who's starting to hit the ball better and kind of just shuffle things around and see who's ready and who's not. And maybe the Marlins will buy into that more as the season goes on and as they fall further and further out of contention as they have the worst record in the National League right now. But it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do as the season goes on and I guess as trades continue to happen – But wrapping up here, what is your pipeline dream for Real Muto, the team you want him to be traded to? I can tell you right now mine is the Blue Jays. I know they won't get Vlad Guerrero out of that, but maybe a Bo Bichette as we were talking about needing a surefire shortstop of the future. I would love Bo Bichette. He's one of my favorite prospects in all of baseball. And I know the Blue Jays have some other impressive prospects that they could tie in with Bichette. What is your pipeline dream for the Marlins if you were to trade Real
1: Muto? I'm going to have to agree with you, with the Blue Jays. It was one potential fit that they were reportedly talking with a few months ago was the Astros. And all of a sudden, that doesn't look like exactly a pressing need for the Astros, who I think Brian McCann is on the disabled list at the moment, but is otherwise having a really decent year. And the fact that their pitching staff has just been out of this world when working with their current catchers, it it makes you doubt that that's going to happen. But the reason why I guess entering the year, the Astros were a team that really appealed to me is because they have those couple guys at the top ends of their farm system that would really, that really translate well to the, and could be up in the majors real soon, um, both as pitchers and position players. Um, but the way that the season has unfolded and the fact that uh Toronto as disappointing a year as they're having, and they've really been struggling, like they've been playing as badly as the Marlins have been playing over like an entire month stretch. They're they're just starting from like a higher point of contention before they went into this nosedive. But with Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's gonna be untouchable, but with him, with a couple of their controllable starting pitchers and with a pretty reasonable payroll flexibility that, that they have. They're a team that's going to be looking back to getting relevance again as soon as 2019. And that's why uh, they should be in the market for Real Muto. And aside with Bo Bichette, with Kevin Biggio, the son of um, Craig Biggio as well, also in Double A and knocking on the door with they've built like a really deep farm system that has those headline pieces and They would be able to like improve the entire outlook of the Marlins farm system at a couple different positions at the same time. And the fit makes a lot of sense uh, where they have a whole nation that's kind of focused on them. It's hard for them to go into a big rebuild. And I don't think they have to go into a rebuild just because they're struggling recently when the near future looks so bright. So I I see a good fit there. Um, And the question is, uh, so this would probably be the first major trade with them going back to that infamous salary dump after the 2012 season. And I mean, with a lot of new faces in the Marlins front office, uh, maybe they wouldn't uh, necessarily have any ill will about that big trade that uh, really didn't work out all that well for either team in the long run. And that that kind of thing matters when you're talking about these executives is the personal history um, of – what they've done in the past with each other and, uh, you know, being able to work well together. So, but I feel like all these years removed from that and with really what seems to be a pretty clean fit and what could be a fair situation for both sides, I have to agree. I think that's what you're shooting for. You just got to hope that um, again, just everything continues as it is that those prospects they have at double A continue to Really shine and look like uh future major league studs, and that real muto just keeps doing what he's doing because there's really no way to overstate how good a season this guy is having where he's one of the top hitters in the league where he's hitting the ball about as hard as any other catcher at his position, which really shows you that he could keep it up that defensively he's taken the step to be at that very top tier nobody else has a quicker pop time in the majors no one gets rid of the ball quicker. And he gets rid of the ball with really good arm strength. And like uh, uh, just the freakish ability that he has to run at that position when you're getting worn down, the workload that he's gone through this year, uh, I've commented on it before, is that he's on a pace to catch more games um, in like a limited amount of time than anybody does in the majors these days. It's just... Doing day day games after night games on this consistent basis and still being this all around star like in every aspect of the game is something that teams will not be able to get from anybody else that's on the market at that position. So he's he's amazing and it's frustrating that the, um, that he, he's probably not a big fit for their future because it's hard to replace a guy. That's the big issue. Is you don't know if they're ever going to have a prospect that replaces him at that position and has that kind of production. It's unlikely. They're good. So it would be just looking to ramp up at a few other positions long-term, and it, it's going to just be fascinating to see how that develops, because it's it would be a legit blockbuster. It would be everything that the Christian Yelch's trade was, and maybe even a little bit more than that, to have a lot of high-quality talent going both ways. It'll be interesting to plays. see if
0: the Marlins decide to go the catcher route in the early rounds too, which I think could be an indicator of what they're deciding to do with Real Muto because they really don't have a contingency plan to uh, Real Muto in their farm system currently. So it'll be interesting to see if what they decide to do along that side of things. Um, I know Joey Bart out of Georgia Tech will probably be out of the Marlins' reach, but there's plenty of other catching prospects Uh, coming out of college that the marlins could decide to snag in the top few rounds but anyways we are done for the day we'll be back next week with some draft talk maybe even sooner honestly we might do a recap right after the draft uh, depending on how passionate i'm feeling either way about this marlins draft but they've seemed to let me down in the past so let all of us down in the past so we'll see how we feel after this draft. It'll probably be too early to tell, but we'll have our early opinions on it. Once again, congratulations, Eli, on our new managing editor position. It cannot be more excited about the direction of this site, and it's a fun time to be covering Marlins baseball.
1: (laughs) Always. Respect the process, baby.